0: I always felt like Chrysler and Jeep was putting food on the table. So I was always loyal to them anyway. And she had a cordoba, a blue cordoba. And I used to sit in the back seat. And one day I moved the mat and you could see the ground.
1: Wow. Fred Flintstone And I used to be
0: like, so she'll stop at a light I'll touch the ground. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Welcome to Needing Dill, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk. This is season three of Needing Dough. And on this show, uninterrupted CEO Maverick Carter sits down with championship level athletes and they discuss the financial lessons they've learned in their professional and personal lives. And this is where I come in. As a former NFL wide receiver and your host, I'm here to give you my personal perspective on how the lessons you're gonna hear translate to you and your life. Now, before we start this conversation, featuring the Fab Five's Jalen Rose, This show is brought to you by Uninterrupted and Chase. Be sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. It's free, it helps other people find the show, and it notifies you every time we drop a new episode. And now I am honored to introduce the legendary Jalen Rose. Although he probably needs no introduction, here's what you got to know about Jalen. He comes from an impressive 13-year NBA basketball career that started in the mid-90s. He was named a McDonald's All-American in high school. He made two NCAA Final Four appearances at Michigan, and he won Most Improved Player while in the NBA. Nowadays, he's one of the most popular media personalities in the country at ESPN. He's also a passionate philanthropist and co-founded the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy in 2011. In this episode, you'll learn about the process of how he built his different career paths and the lessons he learned along the way. So let's get to it. Here's Maverick Carter's conversation with Jalen Rose.
1: So Jalen, we're here at the school. You've been telling me about it for a long time. We talked for a while earlier. We're right in the heart of the west side, right where you grew up. What was it like growing up over here?
0: It was, uh, you learn a lot fast um, because you get exposed to so many things young. I'm the youngest of four. I have two older brothers and an older sister. Grew up in a single parent household, so I got exposed to obviously the positive things that life have to offer, school and sports and things like that, but I also got exposed to things that I wasn't so proud of, like having friends selling drugs and stealing cars and that type of thing too. So I think sports was the thing that ultimately gave my life some direction. You know, when your mother has to work from 8 a.m. to 5, I mean she leaving at seven thirty, not getting home till six.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: That's a lot of time for a young person to get themselves in some trouble, and unfortunately, I found myself in some trouble every uh, now
1: and then. And I'm sure it found you And your mom, I had the same, same exact situation. We grew up in a single parent household. My mom worked from eight to five, so in the summertime, once I got above like the fifth grade, I'd be home for those hours. But your mom was working, and to you, was work just like. She's just working it just to make sure we can have just something to eat? Or did you look at her as like, she's building a career? Did you ever think about work that way? That's a great
0: question. I didn't. I looked at work as just that, like spinning on a hamster wheel. Because I knew that we needed each dime, each nickel, each penny to survive. Um, I had periods of my life where we didn't have heat. It was boiling water to wash up, sleeping in the wintertime in Scully's and and hoodies and stuff like that. And so uh, I saw her work as our opportunity for survival. And and earlier, when I was a little bit younger, she had a second job too. She was actually a waitress at a place called The Shade Bowl. And uh, I used to be the youngster in the bar trying to figure out ways that I could get money from the customers. Got you. So I ended up being a guy that they trusted. They'll send me to the store, give me a couple of dollars or I like go start their car, up, ball, <laughs> and go wipe the snow off of it and stuff like that to make some money. And then I got real good at pinball and I used to be hustling people playing pinball. And yeah. so
1: you looked at money at that age as just it's just critical to living. Like, you didn't look at it as like, how can we save money? How can we build a career? It's just like, we just need, it's critical. But you knew that early that money was critical.
0: Yeah, well I knew it was critical because the math just didn't add up. It was four of us in the house. I'm the youngest, I got the short end and the stick and I wanted to start having my own money. So I used to start doing my own hustles. I used to cut grass, I used to shovel snow, I had a paper route. I used to be at Farmer Jack, How bagging up groceries. How old were you um, Like 10. Gotcha. <clears throat> at Farmer Jack, bagging up people groceries, um, doing whatever I could to <clears throat> try to contribute because it, get, it gets frustrating for your parent when your son or daughter continues to ask you for money and the answer continues to be, I don't have it. Yep. And then at some point, I knew in my head, it don't matter how many times that I asked, she doesn't have it. Exactly. And, and I just thought about this the other day because I had a, a, a time when my youngest daughter, Gracie, was real small and she was like, Daddy, I wanna go buy a toy from Toys R Us or whatever. And I was like, I don't have the money. And she was like, you could go to the ATM?
1: <laughs> you know? She knew already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly,
0: She's like you could go to the ATM. So it, it was just a different mind state, no doubt. And
1: think about that to your point about your daughter's life versus your life. You learned about managing money and dealing with money at a very young age, but for a whole different reason. When you were earning that money at that age, what were you doing with it? Going, eating a lot of Coney Island, <laughs> that was my thing,
0: um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I ate Coney Island every day. Fish dogs, Coney dogs, breakfast, um, that's a big thing here in Detroit for all the Detroiters in the oh, building. It's Coney Island everywhere. Yeah, it's a, a big thing here, so I ate a lot of Coney Island. Um, I didn't really have much the kind of money to where like, I could be fresh all of the time, but every now and then I used to be able to save up money. I was about to say, did you
1: ever save it and think about saving no it? No doubt. Like you like to see it stack already? Yeah, no
0: is. doubt. And I was one of those kids, like I had shoes, i wipe them off with a toothbrush, i line them up neat in the room, i wipe off the uh, tongue with a toothbrush. And so I used to want these snakeskin Adidas. Like there was a period of time where people were like rocking jingle boots and kangaroos and snakeskin Adidas. I was like, I need some of them. And uh, it was a couple of summers where other cats in the neighborhood, they was getting them and I didn't get them, but they knew I was stacking my money. (laughs) And then like two summers after it, I finally got them. And initially I wanted to get them in Michigan colors and you'll like this part. And so I walk in and the only ones they had were gray and white.
1: As and they should.
0: Then, and then there's a picture of me right now online with those shoes and an Ohio State starter. <laughs>
1: Cause
0: I got an Ohio State starter. You know the shoes make the outfit. Of course, you, you know gotta know? start with the shoes, <laughs> exactly. then you build the whole outfit. Lay the shoes out yes. there, like,
1: okay, what shirt? No oh, doubt. I gotta put that jacket Correct. with those shoes. Correct,
0: and then it was trying to get money for, for basketball shoes, so it was like, at time, how could I get some Patrick Ewing Adidas? Or the Ralph Sampson Pumas? Um, and so like my hustles were really what allowed me to be able to do it because I can't keep going to my mother asking her for stuff all the time when I know, first off, my mother Jeannie Rose worked 20 years at Chrysler. She was a key puncher. And so that's why I'm really happy that we have a relationship with Jeep because I always felt like Chrysler and Jeep was putting food on the table. So I was always loyal to them anyway, and she had a cordoba, a blue cordoba. and. I used to sit in the back seat, and one day I moved the mat, and you could see the ground. Wow,
1: Fred Flintstone And
0: I used to be like, so she'll stop at the light, I'll touch the ground. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like little stupid stuff or whatever. But, like, that, that became my motivation, like, my mother's working really hard, she doesn't have it, you know, I gotta figure out a way to
1: contribute. And then, from growing up, you obviously went to school, as we talked at Southwestern. Grew up right here in the west side of Detroit. Then you went to school in Ann Arbor. But the thing I was always curious about, Ann Arbor geographically is very close to here, right? Correct. How, how far is Ann 30 Arbor? 30 minutes,
0: 35 minutes.
1: But as a kid, if you're from the west side of Detroit, the hood in Detroit, do you ever go to Ann Arbor for anything? Never. I'm gonna tell you the first
0: time, this is so ghetto. I'm gonna tell you the first time. <laughs> we, we we were, pra- so that's why I look. Love- I love sports for so many reasons, encourage young people to play all of the time, for the life skills, the sacrifices, the discipline that come with it. But it was the first thing that got us out of the neighborhood. And Detroit's a really segregated city. When I grew up, it was like 95% or so black. And one of our, my AAU coach, Curtis Hervey, who helps out with JRLA still to this day, the team we played on was called the Super Friends. And he used to do a good job of getting us out of the neighborhood. And one time, we practiced that country day. And I'll never forget, it was like a road trip. I mean, we was like stopping and getting like sandwiches and stuff, but it was, it was like. It was, like oh, you
1: felt, you felt like you was going to, to LA or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a road trip. It was a road like, trip. You
0: know, we started getting Fago pops and, like everything. And we was driving along like a side road, and I looked to the left and there was people jet skiing. I'm like, I'm like, yo, people jet skiing in Detroit? Like, yo. And, and by the way, like this is the Great Lakes State. Like, of course. There's water everywhere. The reason know?
1: Detroit exists is because of the lakes. Correct, City, yeah.
0: and so I, I didn't know that that lifestyle was happening 15, 20, 30 minutes away from me.
1: You had no idea. But when I seen it, I was like, I need that. And did you, And did, at that moment, did you connect basketball with money? Like, oh, basketball equals money. Well, yes. Because my father was the number one pick in the
0: 1967 draft, Jimmy Walker. But I never met him. So in my head, I was always going to the league. In and- my head. And so I remember like writing Dr. J on my school papers and stuff like that. Like I always envisioned that I was going to be in the league. And so I kind of lived my life like I know I have a secret that everybody else doesn't know.
1: And and was it because you wanted that dream of having the NBA logo across your chest or you wanted to make money, or both? It it was three reasons. One, I wanted to take care of
0: my mother. Like, I for, for real wanted to take care of my mother. Like, it's a long, like you don't realize when you're growing up, but K through 12, that's a long time. Yes. That's a really long time. and. Just watching what my mother dealt with and the sacrifices she had to make, I wanted to, number one, take care of her. The other thing I wanted to do is I wanted to move out of the hood. I was like, if I get a chance, like I'm gonna lift my family, I'm gonna change the dynamic, I'm gonna change the game, like I'm gonna leave the hood and be able to give back to it. And the other thing is I wanted to be fresh. Of course. Like, people used to be teasing me. Go to school with patches in your pants, holes in your socks. You know, like certain times where, you know, you're playing basketball, you know, you got dirty draws on, you're like, I ain't about to change, you know <laughs> exactly. what I'm saying, ain't taking exactly. my socks, <laughs> people gonna I got clown holes. me, yeah, people are gonna clown me, so I, that, that, those were my main things that motivated me, more than actually the love of the game and chasing yeah. my dream and all of that type of stuff. You
1: know, I always talk about that, when you grow up in the hood, it's like, that thing of people making fun of you is just, it's, it's funny to think about because we're all in the hood, but it's like a dynamic that like, I'm in the hood, but my socks don't got holes. <laughs> but that forces you to be great at some things because you like, oh, I might got sock holes in my socks or my shoes, but you can't, you can't mess with me on this court. Correct, and it becomes oh, a survival tactic. Exactly. Because
0: you don't realize that you're being bullied by people that really don't have much more than you. <laughs> exactly. it's, it's really crazy, but at the same time, you know who you can clap back at and who you need okay. to leave alone. Exactly. So there's certain people that's bullying you and they could just bully you because they might fight you, beat you up, or kill you. Of course. And then it's the other people It's like, all right, well, let's play some basketball then. And then let's see, yeah. Yeah. And so
1: it, or it, let's rap. or let yeah, correct. And that's break how, dance. Let's break dance. The other one. That's how great comedians get yep. made. Because they they're the guy you know, oh, I ain't going to mess with him because he come back too fast. Correct. Friends. Correct. Exactly. And break dancing was a big thing we did. Of course. So. Of course. So then you basketball takes you to Ann Arbor. It's 30 minutes, but you had never been there. What was it like when you first got there as a freshman and showed up on campus? Man, it was like,
0: it was it was crazy because like I took a couple of visits like back then I don't know if they changed the rule but you could take like four or five visits and like just being a local kid you only want to visit the schools and fall in love with the squads that you see hometown people balling at. Yeah. And so Michigan actually wasn't my first choice. If you'd have known me in high school, you'd think I was going to Syracuse
1: love because
0: Syracuse. DC used to bring home mm-hmm. gear. Hunt used to bring her, like, I was rocking their gear. Of course. That's why when I got to college, we got together and Jimmy would tell you was like, we ain't wearing no small shorts. (laughs) Like, because everybody got a little longer and longer. You know, them Vegas teens and Georgetowns. Everybody got a little longer, yeah. So we like, we just gonna take it there. And so getting to Ann Arbor, the best thing that happened for me is that I wasn't like considered the best player on the team. It wasn't like i had to come lift the squad because i was a member of the fab five of course and i wore number five because i was the fifth person to sign his letter of intent wow so as you see players in this free agency thing and Bron and them did it in miami i waited till everybody signed first i'm like i'm gonna come but but let me see i need to make sure y'all sign first because you know guys change their mind and get
1: flipped all the time of course now do you remember the first time you heard somebody call y'all the Fab Five? I think and do you remember what it, who it was and what you felt? We hated it. Really? You know why?
0: You know why I personally hate it? Because I love Fab Five Freddy.
1: Oh yeah, of course. So you like we biting Fab Five?
0: I'm like we biting Fab Five Freddy. We like, can't we do can't, that. We can't be doing it. That's my
1: man. I love your N T V raps. Like he's he's cool. He's fresh. Yeah. Like. And, and so that's funny. You heard it. You hated it. But it just stuck. Nothing y'all could do, right? We called ourselves five times. We tried to fight it. Y'all tried to fight it? We tried to fight
0: it. We was like, don't call us the Fab Five.
1: Nothing you could do then. Exactly. And okay. then when you got to college, obviously the Fab Five just blew up. I always tell people, for me, that's my favorite team ever. I remember watching all those games. But when you were there going through that, you guys become big, you, you're winning, you're doing that. Did you guys ever think about then that we should be getting paid to play? Obviously you guys wore the shirts. So that's what makes this crazy.
0: And so if you go back to the childhood part that we just discussed, it was one thing for me to be hustling and cutting grass and shoveling snow and carrying bags and having a paper route to get money. But now I'm in college, I see money. It was the first time I I got exposed to it. Yes. I got exposed to money. I'm like, a jersey costs, I'm like, that's $100? I'm like, those shoes that we wear cost $200? And then we go to, I think Chicago, we get a chance to tour the Nike store. Jay, will tell you, we walking through there, we all happy, we feeling ourselves, people talking to us and asking us for autographs, taking pictures. And we walk past a display, that said, Fab Five Nikes. And it was the Hirachi shoe.
1: I love them Hirachis, <laughs> I'm, I know, i had it framed with C-Webb on the cover of the paper with his legs. Yeah, that picture's crazy that, right? picture's crazy, that picture's crazy. That picture's ill. With the Hirachis on. So at that point,
0: We was like, we need to be getting paid. Because somebody's getting paid. We need to be, like, so we were like, "Let, let me get this right. So we're not getting paid to play ball, but we see that we're selling products more than the other student athletes around the country. Yes. And right before my freshman year, I think it was Eric Riley, myself, and I forget the third person, we actually had an appearance where we showed up at a basketball camp and we were supposed to get paid for doing a camp. And I'll never forget this. I was so happy. I was like, yeah, I'm about to get paid. It was $2,000. So yeah, I'm gonna get paid. And so we do it, the two hours in. So you know, I'm kind of looking around like, all right, I'm gonna take a couple of extra pictures. All right, I'm <laughs> all right, I'm gonna chill. And then the dude came up and gave me a check. And the crazy, I know this sounds ignorant, but I was looking at it like it was in Chinese. I'm like, what am I gonna do with this? Like, I don't even have a bank
1: account. What am I supposed to do? You what, think he's gonna give you $2,000? I
0: thought I was gonna get some cash. Of course. You know what I mean? I'm looking like, what am I supposed to do with this? And I'm arguing with the dude. We get into an argument, we get in trouble for doing the appearance, we have to go to compliance, and there was a couple of days that we couldn't practice. Because of this? Because of this. Wow. And I still didn't get my money. <laughs> How about that? Still didn't get my money.
1: You still didn't get your still money? didn't get it. That's amazing, but you, because you guys are now in Ann Arbor too, where there's a bunch of rich kids on mm. campus, right? The University of Michigan is full with kids that come from wealthy back, and they loving y'all, supporting y'all. What was that feeling like to now be out of the west side of Detroit, now out of the gyms and the hood of Detroit, now you with all these kids who are rich from all over the country, by the way?
0: And see, and, and like Detroit, really at that time was like so so very segregated. Like this is a black neighborhood. Like this is such and such and such and such. So you go from being the majority, and in high school, look in the stands, the majority, playing in the PSL, playing at Cobalt, playing at Joe Louis, we the majority. And also, all of a sudden you go to school, you're the minority. And so that's a big time adjustment culturally. Um, and so the greatest thing about the people on campus, though, that we went to school with, like they showed us love.
1: They 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 respected y'all. They, for it. they showed As us people.
0: They showed us love. It wasn't just like y'all some some jocks and we're gonna deal with y'all. Like they showed us love. Did
1: you think it would be different when you got there? I didn't know what to expect. You didn't know what to expect because you had never you had never dealt with white people on not that like level. Not like
0: that. Nope. Not on that level. I really have other than other than like in basketball. Like I only had one white teammate growing up. His name was Josh. I remember his name. Yeah. And so like. You know, it, it was a new experience for me being from Detroit. And they were very welcoming. So it was like little stuff like, what you doing with that Hennessy? Let me turn you into the this Jägermeister. <laughs> you know, like, like little stuff like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I like that. Exactly. You know, like, like going to the frat houses and see and how I, they live. I was going to ask you,
1: and because you were so close on weekends, did you find yourself coming back to Detroit? Or did you actually stand in Ann Arbor and hang and make yourself a part of the the college community? Because you could have just came back to all the people you knew every weekend.
0: I thought I was gonna do that. When I went, I thought I was gonna go home every weekend. Then I realized like hanging out with the Fab Five was really fun in Ann Arbor. Gotcha. It was really fun. And being at the student union, one of the first parties we went to, it was like a tall staircase. Jam, you know where I'm going with this. The middle of winter, I had just won this, new york giants triple fat goose i bet on them to beat buffalo in the super bowl and i went and bought that coat and because i was like i need to get me a winter coat <laughs> So I, I, was like, I was a big lt fan so in my locker in college i had lt's jersey magic's jersey and dion's jersey all hanging in my locker so when i got that coat I, I was like i'm gonna wait till we we go out and i'm gonna sport it and be fresh and so we walking up these big stairs it's like hundreds of people trying to get up to the union and get up to the party as I get like almost to the top, I was ho- I was walking like this. I had a 40 ounce, and it just dropped. <laughs> boom, boom, boom! Glass stuff everywhere. I was like, Oh, oh no, man! This is so ghetto. <laughs> I, I'm like, Like, oh, who was that? I'm like, Wow, who did that? So like, those type of like culture things, like being out of our element, but still like taking like neighborhood thoughts with you and values and stuff like that, that's, that's, that's really what helped me grow a lot.
2: Now, life can direct you on a path that shows a spectrum of possibilities. For Jalen, it happened when he started college close to his hometown. Experiencing the drastic contrast of the lifestyles and opportunities between Ann Arbor and Detroit led him to problem solve what was going on in his community and it ignited a fire and passion that would help change the lives of others. That's coming up right after the break. But first, all right, let's get back to this conversation between Maverick and Jalen Rose.
1: So you're now at Michigan and you're getting a visualization, which is good for you. And as we walked around this school today, we talked a lot about the students here. Mm -hmm. Tell me about when you first realized I need to do a school. I, 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 Jalen Rose, need to start a school. So I think it was like, 2008,
0: and for those, a lot of finance people in the room, you know that that was the economic downturn of our country. Of course. Um, and, I, and, and and rest in peace to John McC- McCain, no shots and no shade, but I'm just, you asked me what gave me a motivation. And so, people were coming to Detroit to do their presidential candidacy. And I was watching on the tube, because like, people. May or may not know this about me. As much as I follow sports, I follow politics, I follow fashion, following everything. And he was like, why go visit Detroit? Because somebody asked him, you know, why, why he doesn't want to come do his candidacy in Detroit or whatever. He was like, because when the country gets sick, Detroit gets the flu. Mm. Wow. Something like that. And that always stuck with me. I was like, initially, I had already had an endowment at Michigan was graduated a couple of kids. I was already helping five kids each year through my foundation get to college. But when he said that, I was like, I gotta do more. But I didn't know what that was at the time. And so, as Detroit went through the economic downturn, we was opening them jails and we was closing them schools. And at one point, they were basically starving for new high schools in the city of Detroit that could be um, very productive for students. And I was in Bristol, Connecticut. Um, my executive assistant who's here today, Michelle, has been working with me for 15 years. By the way, you like this entrepreneurial spirit. When I met her, she worked for the Bulls. When you were playing for the when Bulls? When I was playing for the Bulls, Michelle was working for the team. And we have doing like a couple of corporate outings, and like charitable events. I'm like, they got you managing all 15 of the players by yourself? They're like, yeah, you know, that's what I do, whatever, whatever. And I still back like, how much they pay you? <laughs> you know, and she like, I don't, you know. And, and before you know it, I ended up hiring her. And 15 years later or so, she still worked with me. And so I was in Bristol and I was doing NBA tonight. And I'll never forget, cause the show didn't come on till like two in the morning. We had like a four or five o'clock meeting, the game started at seven whatever, we on the phone talking. And we were talking about like how to do more with education and whatever. And she was like sending me some articles about like the charter school movement and how you know we had the potential to possibly open up a school in Detroit. Would I want to do it? I was like, nah, I don't want to do it. It sounded like too much work. I was like, no, me, school, oh,
1: no, no, no. (laughs) No,
0: because if you think about it, If you go to a sporting event, you see how passionate parents are about their kids and playing the sport. Well, education is that time a hundred. And I was like, whoa, that's a lot of pressure. I don't know if I want to do it. And her and the co-founder of the school, um, they continue to encourage me to do it. A gentleman named Mick Coster put us together. I was influenced in high school. Michael Carter, my co-founder went to UAD. He was influenced via scholarship in college. So we crafted a nine through 16 thought that could be a model. And I literally stood on the stage two or three weeks ago and graduated 100 kids from high school while graduates from JRLA were on stage to just finish That's college.
1: Amazing. That's amazing. And how hard was it? Because obviously it's a charter school, you get no state funding. Going through all that pain and how hard it was to get the school, but to see that happen. How was that feeling? It was,
0: uh, let, me, let me, I'm going to tell you how hard it is. And, and I always, it, it always boggles my mind when I see this. So you can have a remote control in your hand and watch anything on TV. But before something religious comes on, it's a disclaimer. Like, oh, no, 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 we don't endorse <laughs> this. <We> <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't, 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 don't. And that's how it was when I was opening the school. It was so many obstacles that people were trying to throw at us to discourage us from doing it. I remember going to Capitol Hill, and people were talking about how charter schools take kids away from public schools, and you know, I'm like, look, I just want them to have a good school to go to. I don't care if it's a magnet school, charter school, you can homeschool your kids, I don't care. But they deserve a good school to go to. And then I look around the room, I'm like, first off, I'm the only black guy here. Second, I'm the only one that went to a school in Detroit. Like, y'all telling me about public schools, and I went to a public school. So I'm like, all right, I see what this is going to be. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, this is going to be a fight. Yeah. Yeah, In my head, that's how I took it. This is going to be a fight.
1: And how has that changed you as Jalen Rose, the the person, the individual, going through that fight and seeing your kids graduate in college and at JRL? It's
0: rewarding. It really is. The first graduation, and I'm not much of a crier, I'm not saying it because I think it's cute or cool or whatever, but like I shed a couple of tears at the graduation because I just thought about the impact and you see the families are so enthusiastic about it. Like you have to at least check out one of our graduations. i I It's like it's like a concert, (laughs) it really is. It's Mm -hmm. like your favorite artist at Shane Park. It's like the students come down. You got the parents. You got the cousins. You got the uncles. You got the teachers. You got the supporters, and you're thinking about a young scholar that you met at 14 years old that didn't know if they wanted to be a leader or follower, didn't know if they wanted to be cool or smart, or like just just watching the growth and maturity that they have, and it just it's just outstanding to me how these young young folks. Are able to be successful in a climate where they're exposed to so much so early.
1: Exactly. And tell me, we talked earlier about JRLA focuses on the whole person, yes. not just the student. Because as we talked in the hood, you may want to go to school, but it's like, I can't go to that neighborhood. Oh, Forget no. the school. I want to go to school, <laughs> but if I got to walk through that neighborhood to go to that school, I might get beat up. I'm somebody gonna stop me and go, "Yo, do your mom, stay? your grandmama stay here? Your aunt stay here? If they don't, you gotta get out of this neighborhood." So you guys focus on the whole student. Absolutely. And I'm gonna give you an
0: example of that sort of gentrification you just talked about. So I went to school at Southwestern. It's right by E Course. It's right by River Rouge. And on the other side of Southwestern is Western. Now we were a national basketball powerhouse, like. Banners in the gym like the Boston Garden. Okay, I donated a gym, I had a computer lab there, like all of that. They shut down the school, right? Made it a business. So now, all of those kids that was going to school at Southwestern got to go to a whole different neighborhood at Western to try to go to school. So imagine, if there were a 1,000 kids going to this school, probably only 250 of them going to make it to the new school, because mm-hmm. now you go from walking to school to catching the bus or needing a ride or going to a new neighborhood where you got you, you got to overcome you know what comes with the neighborhood, and so for for our scholars, it it always amazes me how we started with 120 students that came from 40 different middle schools, 40
1: different middle schools. Wow! So build it, they'll come. Yep, and when you guys deal with the whole student as we talked, Oh yeah. You try and teach them a lot of things they don't see at home. Yes sir. Growing up like me and you did as we talked, college is definitely one, but also money. We don't, I don't, you, you just, only way we talk about money if you grow up in the hood is like you need, need money to get stuff. Do you guys help the students to start thinking about money further than just needed to survive and get some food? Yes, when
0: my initial vision and as I saw Black Lives Matter grow as I seen the financial downturn go up and down. Michelle will tell you this, my first vision of JRLA, I wanted to have a police mini station in the school and I wanted to have a credit union in the school. Those are two of the first things I wanted to have for exactly what you said, because the life skills portion is very important to young people. And yes, so many people judge everything by numbers in sports, and stats, GPA, SAT, but it's important to teach young people how to deal with life skills, of course, social skills, etiquette, decision making, problem solving, and then the money piece. We want to get money, but the money we exposed to is fast money. It's fast, yeah, you know, it's, it's fast. fast. And, and, and by the way. The people who have the fast money, they'll brag about it, too. Live fast, die young. Yeah, that's how it goes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm this, getting like, it. I'm getting it right now. Yeah. And so that becomes the mentality that, in a cycle that you've got to try to break.
1: As we talk about money, you obviously had a long, great career in the NBA, made over $100 million. Say that again. Over 100, $102 million. Well, thank like, you, thank you. But being that you didn't have the opportunity to come to JRLA and learn about that, you got, now you leave Michigan after your second year. My third, yeah. Your third, mm-hmm. so how old were you, 20? 21. And now you're a millionaire. Crazy. All the way up to making a, over a hundred million dollars because you didn't have any education there, how much of it did you waste? I spent all of that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I spent all of that
0: because I'm 21, I'm like I'm about to be doing this until I'm 45, man. Exactly. You see Kareem walking up and down, I can do that. You know what I mean? But also here's the other thing that I learned. Part of it is just like not having any, you know, body to teach you about money that you that's in your family or you've seen have money and be responsible with it. But this is the crazy part. You're buying everything for the first time.
1: That's what I always talk about that. So the reason we created this show <laughs> is this idea that two things. A, a athlete's life is upside down. You've actually had the opportunity now to be post-career and building a whole new career. Most athletes don't get that. They get paid the most money and are, and are the best at their careers at, at 22, 23. You the youngest. By the time you're 30, you're actually not good anymore. Every other job, 30 to 22, you're 20. way better. Yes. 40, you're way better. It's upside down. And I always talk about if you come from a family that doesn't have money, I'm glad you You gotta there. buy everything for the first time. <laughs> yeah. From your shoes, your clothes, to your house, your mom's house, your car, on that first contract. No doubt, and stupid dreams that
0: you have. Like, I, one of my motivations, I was like, if I get to the league, I'm gonna have a jacuzzi tub, I'm gonna fill it up with 40 ounces, you know what I mean? It's gonna be like the G-Thang video, you know what I'm saying? We're gonna have girls, we're gonna have, we're gonna have the bikinis, we're gonna do all of that. So when I first got drafted, like, four or five of my homeboys lived with me. Of course. No doubt about it, like, we all going to Denver, like, I ain't, we going. Yeah. And so, I'm glad you brought up and, and elaborated on the buying of things for the first time. So there's an irresponsible part, but let me tell you the responsible part about buying things for the first time. You, you're trying to take care of your mom that did so much for you, or your your, your siblings, trying to help them out, trying to help out your family and friends, because, it's one thing for you to be paid, but it don't mean as much if everybody else broke. And what, it, it creates a unique rub of, I can't ride down the block in my new Benz, really, because while everybody loves me, eventually it's gonna be like, oh, he know I don't got a car, you no. know, why he don't help me get a vehicle. Or it go from celebrating you come down the block to, oh, I'm gonna rob him. Of course, fast. Right. And, and, and so, so that dynamic happens, and then not knowing what really makes you happy. It's like, I'll buy the car, but then you got to get the big rims. You gotta get the big tires. The you gotta sounds. get the loud music. Yeah.
1: And people, you realize they was
0: overcharging
1: us. Of all course, of, of course. That's a good question. What lessons <laughs> did you learn? Especially like, to your point, leaving Michigan, you, you just think, I'm gonna be an NBA player, I'm gonna have millions of dollars. Millions, but millions of dollars has no context when you're 21 or 22 and you never had none. So what lessons did you learn going through that? First lesson, taxes. Oh, the world think
0: I got 10 million, but I really got five. (laughs) Exactly. That's the first thing. And people quick to count your money. Uh, Absolutely. Oh man, as soon as the number come out, oh the 10 million dollar (laughs) man, oh here he come, oh I know he buying, and it's, it's tough for you to be in, it, you go from being a part of the crew, a part of the family, to the breadwinner. Of course. And the leader. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Decision maker. Because each person is coming to you and telling you their problems. Yeah. And how your money can help them. Yep. Yeah. And by the way, how their idea can get both of y'all rich.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: right. Exactly. Both right. of y'all can make a lot. <laughs> and so that first contract goes like this. Quit. And it ain't just me. I would say, now that they make a lot more money and there's a lot more awareness, this doesn't happen. But I would say pre-2000, that was probably like 50% of the players. Yeah, the old NBA was everybody. That that first contract, gone. So when were you able to start saving on the second? Second contract. I remember thinking when
1: I get this, I ain't giving nobody nothing. Nothing. You're like, I'm gonna save it all. Yeah. Did you even have an idea what you were saving for? Or just like I'ma save it for to change the change
0: like the dynamics of my family, to try to have a legacy of me growing up in the city and my kids growing up in the suburbs. Me going to public school, my kids going to private school. That's why I think I'm I'm like so balanced with this school because I, got a chance to, I get a chance to live all sides. I went to a public school, my kids go to a private school, charter school is like the middle. So that's why like we call it bridging the education gap. Private school, $30,000 a year, K through 12, that's what, like a $460,000 investment. You know, $8,000 a year, K through 12, you know, whatever. So now, you're trying to make sure those kids can compete in the same collegiate classroom and they compete for the same job. Because the disappointing thing about our country is that the quality of your education is de- determined by your zip code. Exactly. And that's why they have restrictions on where you can go to school and school, like, like students in Detroit for public school in, in this district or zone or whatever, get $7,800. But in like West Bloomfield Public School, those kids get like 14,500. And then if you're gonna put your kid in country day, that's like $40,000 a year. A year
1: exactly. exactly. So you got a
0: kid, all of this is investment. Is
1: it, is Education that, is an then, investment. And as you talk about awareness and old NBA versus new NBA, when you were like a young, even throughout your whole, most of your career, in the NBA locker rooms was money and what we invested in, talked about like today is obviously Talked about. Talk a little about the difference of today's NBA versus old. Not just how much money they're making, but just the conversations and the awareness. And you hear about players investing in things and being entrepreneurs while they're playing. It was not discussed. Nothing. Rare, rarely.
0: Like players nowadays have a level of exposure to entrepreneurship that we just didn't have, and that's why I give them so much credit. They're so much smarter than we are, a lot more disciplined than we are, a lot more aware than we are. We were talking about how to spend the money and have fun with the money. They're talking about how to capitalize on businesses and entrepreneurship and and buy teams and and stuff like that. So the dynamics of the locker room did change. And I I remember being, uh, I was playing, I was playing in Chicago and I remember being on the bus and at that time, like I was having a business manager, and I was you know, invest, doing a lot of investments and whatnot. And I realized something. I looked around, like this was, this was really before social media, so like everybody was reading the newspaper. And I looked like, like everybody looking at the sports section, including me. And I'm like, I need to pay more attention to the fact that I'm paying somebody to manage my money that know more about it than I do. Like it was a scare. it was like a, it was like a whoa. What year were you in the league then? I was like, uh, I was maybe, I wanna say like my eighth or ninth so you had year.
1: So you had already made a lot of money at that point. Right,
0: it was, I, was like, I was like in my like third year of like really making money that I was proud of type of thing. And it hit me like, yeah, it's great to be able to pay somebody to manage my money but it's even better for me to be able to manage my money. Of course. So I started to make sure that I started to buy things that were tangible to me. Like I know how much this art costs. I know how much this property costs. So now, and the other thing I started to think about, and I just had my daughter, my oldest daughter. When you leave things to people, they won't necessarily have the sophistication of managing it that you had earning it. Of course. So in my head, it's like, all right, you can follow this math. Hey, that place cost $2 million in 2004. Well now in 2014, it's worth $4 million. You can't really mess that up. Of course, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean?
1: It's appreciated. Yeah, Yeah.
0: but if you like passing somebody a big time portfolio of paper stacked this high, it's like, whoa, what do I do with this? Of course. And then that's why you see so many people who've hit the lottery like 75% end up broke. broke. Or even you see people who didn't have generational wealth, somebody hits it and then they unfortunately pass away and then the family goes back into that same cycle. So it's 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 really a scary proposition.
2: Education is an investment, not just for learning new skills, but learning how to navigate the world and in general, being able to break away from the cycles of poverty. Just like having an invested coach, having invested teachers and mentors throughout our lives, whether it's academic and sports or financial management, it makes an impact. I've always viewed my opportunity as a professional athlete as an opportunity to affect people's lives. I mean, obviously, there's the value of entertainment that pro sports brings to people, but I'm talking about in my community. And when I finally made the big stage, I realized that the impact that pro athletes can have was even bigger than I thought. I can remember one year my teammate Miles Austin and I decided to donate a computer lab to an inner city Cleveland school that didn't have one. And we just felt good about being in the position to help. But years later, I randomly ran into the principal of that school and she met me with tears in her eyes, explaining how over the years since we made the donation, how the entire school's test scores had dramatically improved. Now, I didn't realize it, but the reason was the majority of the kids in that school didn't have a computer at home. And that the school realized after the donation that the low test scores that they had as a school were the result of the kids not knowing how to use the technology. It was a prime example to me about how far just leveling the playing field could go in a kid's life. All right, let's circle back to this interview featuring Jalen Rose.
1: And you started, you actually started thinking about your post-career while you were playing. I did. What made you think about broadcasting? Was it just another way to earn money, or was it what made you start thinking about broadcasting? Well,
0: communications was my major in college, radio, TV, film. I always talked a lot. I always loved the game. I always thought I was smarter than everybody else. I always <laughs> thought I had game. I always thought I was witty. I, 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 I was the kid that when you were playing Madden or you were playing NBA Live or whatever, and there's three or four TVs in the dorm or in the, the apartment once I got to the league. When you lose, you can't just be on the side, sleep and doing all that. You gotta commentate the next of course, game, yeah. you know? So that type of thing. And so, with it being my major in college, I was in the league, playing in Indiana, making it to the finals in 2000, all good. Get traded to the Bulls, February of that year, they got nine wins. I'm like, we ain't going to playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't going to playoffs. So, I had just did an interview with BET Mad Sports at the time. And I reached back out to the contact. I think it was Lakers and New Jersey Nets wow. playing in the finals. And I, had a, I, I pitched them an idea to let me cover the finals for them. I was like, I got a place in LA. You don't have to fly me out there. You don't have to get me a credential. All you got to do is send a camera. Cut, spice it. They liked it, they aired it. The next year, Stacey Garcia, who's here right now, John Entz, Charlie Uke, I pitched the idea to them. Best Damn Sports Show hired me while I was in the league.
1: To come work on this?
0: To come work for them. So I was working with John Sally and Chris Rose. So from 2003 to 2007, I was, a couple of years, I was averaging 20 points and working in the media.
1: And were you thinking about it then? this is just a way to earn some extra money, or I'm forget the money. I'm setting something up long term. I'm like, I ain't Michael Jordan. I ain't Magic Johnson. <laughs> I ain't gonna be able to choose when it's in.
0: Of course. And when I'm done, Lee gonna be like, Where is he now? Nobody's gonna care about where I am. I wanted to stay involved in the game. I wanted to be able to to to, to
1: be in the gym still. Exactly. When it ended. And what's the be- is that the best part about getting paid to cover sports? No doubt. Being in you the still gym, feel a part of it? I'm in the gym. Like so the bigger the game,
0: like yeah, during the regular season you're excited about the big games or whatever, but in the playoffs I find myself like sweating and like paying attention intently to what's going to happen and the finals come it's the biggest stage. So I always felt like I wanted to be on that stage. So from 2003 to 2007, I worked with Best Down I worked with Uh, NFL Network, top-ranked boxing. I covered the MTV Movie Awards. I used to go on uh, Cold cold Pizza before it was first take. Like, I was doing studio and sideline with TNT. I remember my guy, Nick Van Exel, threw the towel on me. When I was doing sideline, just kept on going. (laughs) Yo, you ain't messing up my bread, dog. Yeah, you getting busy.
1: I'm going to keep on going. As, as great as your <clears throat> NBA career is, your broadcasting career is really, to your point, you've paid your dues and now it's paying off and you keep going. Do you think it's going to be better than your NBA career if you just no, measure God. them both? <clears throat> it already is. Do you think it already
0: is? It already, it already is. It already is. Why do you say that? Because in basketball, I a superstar in this game. I feel like I am.
1: You feel like, and do you have... Guys coming to you for advice now, like, yo, man, how did you do this? How did you? And all what, do of the you time. what advice do you give them? Practice, actually Just, practice.
0: But, but and and you gotta switch up your verbiage. Like, if you're gonna be talking on TV a lot, I shouldn't necessarily be able to finish your sentence, even if I know you, even if I know what you're gonna say, I shouldn't necessarily know the word you're gonna use all of the time. You gotta switch up your verbiage. If you think about it, it's it's an audio medium, it's a radio medium, it's a podcast medium. And though people are watching ESPN, most of the people aren't hearing it. A lot of people sleep on that. So for those that get a chance to actually hear you, you gotta make sure that you find a way to sound different.
1: To make an impact. To make an impact. And most of the guys that are yeah. asking you, are you finding Is players towards the end of their career? Is it middle? Is it some youngsters? Is it all different? What is it now? Players in the league in
0: particular, like, for example, C.J. McCollum. He's doing a real good job with his podcast, getting his stuff out there while he's still in the league. And I joked with him as a little bro when they got eliminated and they got swept out of play. I was like, all right, now you working with us a little too much, dog. What's happening? You know what I mean? Like, come on now. Exactly. You see how how he balled out and killed this year and they got to the conference finals. Of course. So, like – I look at like a lot a lot of young people like him, who have taken their opportunity to play in the league, but still do media. So JJ Reddick has a podcast that's doing a real good job. Exactly. And so a lot of guys understand that you can. There's a duality. There used to be a time in sports where people just like shut up and play.
1: Yeah, we don't want to
0: hear from you. Like. Like you got time to do something besides play basketball exactly like yeah it's 24 hours in a day like <laughs> I'm, I'm playing basketball all day every day like that's what i do it's not necessarily who i am exactly so now players get a chance to express themselves in in, in so many different mediums
1: and do you think well first off as a black businessman which i've experienced too but also as an nba player when you're doing, whether it's broadcasting, or you're investing in things, or starting a business and looking for investors, do investors take NBA players or athletes serious? So, here's what people gotta understand.
0: What you've done for a living doesn't get you respect. Like, that's, that's the biggest misconception that people have. Like, just because I played basketball, or just because I graduated from Michigan, or whatever it is, like that doesn't garner you respect. Going in a room and being able to articulate yourself, being passionate about what you do, know what you say and do what you say, be a man and person of your word, be in stand-up about what you do, that earns your respect, that earns people's trust, and then that gets you more opportunities, not the other way around. Just because you played in the league, that don't mean you can talk about sports well. Exactly. And there are people who didn't play in the league that do a good job yep. of covering sports. It's not a rite of passage. Exactly, and,
1: and as an entrepreneur, when did you start thinking about yourself as an entrepreneur? Later in my career. When I started
0: working in the media while I was still in the league.
1: And you were playing and doing media, so you quickly as, a, as an entrepreneur learned an entrepreneur needs multiple streams of income. If you don't own a if you don't own Ford Motor Company or Chrysler or some Nike or some big company, you gotta you you learn that pretty quickly, right? No doubt. And And how important is that? That that's the most important.
0: You gotta have multiple hustles. It's just like being an athlete. You can't just do one thing. Like it's it's great to be able to shoot, but man, if you can dribble and pass too, you're a lot better. The exact same thing. My majors Communications, radio, I've had a radio show, TV, I work multiple television shows, and film.
1: You figured out a way, by the way, to get multiple streams from one company. Correct. You got a podcast, <laughs> you got a show, you yes. got the countdown. Yes. Correct. I mean, you really master. How do you, when you're thinking about whether it's investing in a company or starting something or taking on another, taking on Countdown, turning Jalen Jacoby into a show, how do you make decisions? of what you should and shouldn't be doing with your money, whether you're investing, or with your time, job you should or shouldn't be taking? So risk versus reward. Um,
0: If it's going to cost, like I used to do a play, like when Tyler Perry, I ain't gonna say when he first started, but like this was maybe like 2005. I actually had a play that toured the United States called The Greatest Love Story Ever Told. And it was the story of Mary and Joseph that's told in the Bible. And I had Anna Marie Horsford. I had um, Tatiana Ali. I had a a lot of really successful actors and actresses work on the play. And the thing I learned real quick in dealing with the chitlin circuit was that the venues ain't always what they tell you that they are gonna be. (laughs) Even though you just secured it, paid your money and all of that. You know, the security might not be what they promised. And so I'm like, oh, okay. I feel like when I do something, I need to be hands on with it. I feel like that gives me my best rate of return. So if I'm gonna do the greatest love story ever told, if I'm gonna executive produce the Fab Five doc, like I need to be on top of it. But like, I'm always still trying to figure what, what is next in that field. But I like that field because when I walk into a room, I'm not the amateur. Yep. I'm experienced, I'm one of the experts. So it's different when you work, operate from a position of power and knowledge versus when you're paying somebody for theirs. Of it's always a unique balance. And did you,
1: in doing that play or whatever, was that the biggest mistake you made financially or in business? Was that play? Was that, oh, that? man, was I lost my else? shirt. I lost my <laughs> shirt, man. I lost my shirt, man. I tell you, I did. But it was fun. Going into uh, it, did you think, "Oh, I'm about to make a killing"?
0: Oh, I'm about to, I'm about to make millions. I'm about to kill like I'm about to be Tyler Perry. <laughs> I'm about to be Tyler Perry. That's about to be me. And how much did you end up losing on that? Oh Do you I, I think I lost maybe like four hundred thousand.
1: Wow. I wow. sure did. Overall. Wow, that's incredible. And talking about yourself now that you multiple streams of income, know what it means to lose money, make money. Took your whole first contract, basically bought a bunch of shit you didn't need (laughs) and spent it. Now is it hard to splurge on yourself or are you cool with it now? You you have your grasp on
0: it. I have everything. I see what it feels like now if you make it to the league and your parents already got money. Yeah. Because just think about the dynamics of if you make it to the league, your parents already have their dream house. Your brothers and sisters already live in the suburbs. They already go to a good school. They already got a car when they were 16. Like, you don't have to take care of everybody. And so, like, now at this point in my life, I, I'm i fortunate to have everything I want. Like, when you don't have money, you like, I want every necklace I can get. I want every bracelet I can get. And you know there was an era where we was rocking three Everyone, cool bracelets, like four, five I chains. I was wearing three earrings. I was doing all of that. And so, now as you start to get a little bit older, it's like, I'm, I'm really fortunate. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate where I live. I'm fortunate where I work. I have the clothes I want. So, like, my guilty pleasure of, of, of purchases is probably
1: clothes. Clothes, and you love clothes. Suits and suits. No matter like what, you buying clothes. Yeah. I see you're always fresh on clothes I couch. try to be,
0: thank you. And, 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 and paying for my barber.
1: i'm sure he don't want to hear that (laughs) i know and and i always talk about this too It's some things like no matter how much money you get you remember being on the west side of detroit and there's certain habits that people just can't get out of i call it the broke habit Mm -hmm. Do you have one like some a habit that you're just like i remember being on the west side of detroit no matter how much money i get i'm always gonna Use coupons. I'm always gonna is there a habit for you like is there something you always gonna do no matter how much you got?
0: Yeah, I have a few of those. Um I, I like to uh do things on my own, like oh, in my oh. own space. So I know this sound crazy, but people be like, like so like if I'm gonna cook, I like to go to the market. Like I, I don't need I, I don't need enablers.
1: You don't need a bunch of people doing stuff for
0: you. I them. don't need enablers. That's that's a, that, that's number one. Number two every now and then I just take a deep breath before I decide to buy something. Because every now and then it still
1: happens. To make
0: sure you, do I really want to make this purchase? It still happens every now and then. I'm in Toronto, I'm on York Street, I'm walking through the mall, I'm eating French food, I'm in the league, I walk to a store, there's a Vertu phone, V-E-R-T-U. remember those. I pick it up. I'm like, oh, man, this is awesome. They're like, yeah, it's carefully crafted. You know, <laughs> you know, they give you yeah, the whole sales yeah, thing. yeah, the same people that make, you know, Bentleys make this and whatever, whatever, whatever. And uh, I bought the phone. It was like, it got its own concierge. It worked anywhere in the world. Phone cost $15,000. I ain't even used the phone. <laughs> I ain't even used the phone. So those type of memories make me feel like, all right, you, you, at, at this point of your life, like you have what you need, and uh, try not to make dumb decisions like that.
1: And last thing before we wrap. You've obviously very well known for being a member of the Fab Five, had an awesome NBA career, now a huge sports media personality, have this school, connected to Detroit. When it's all said and done, what's the thing you want to be known for or known as?
0: That's a great question. Um, really, I only wanted to be famous in my hometown. That kind of, it's, it, like, I only want, like, winning a state championship in Detroit, winning the PSL and the city and the state championship for me in, in Michigan is like winning five NBA championships. Wow. Like, if I had the key to the city, that would be more than me being, like, Whatever job or position, um, being 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 from here and having the influence. And by the way, I got to bring up something too that I endured. I think it was September 2003. Um, I just thought about this story because I mentioned that uh, I mentioned Bentley. That yeah. September 2003, Beverly Hills, California, leaving a spot after the Sparks just won their first championship. I had a Cadillac truck. And I used to put all types of music in it and sounds and TVs and all of that. And it just kept having mechanical issues. And so I was driving a loner Bentley, drop top. My homeboy, Riz, you know, he from Detroit. We down like four flat tires. My chef, my homie. And so we riding from the spot, Mav. I pull up at a light. I look to my right, it's a red Cadillac truck. I look again, I see the back dome light come out. Come on. A dude sneaking from behind the car comes straight up with a nine millimeter, right? And I couldn't, and of course, you in that situation, you don't, I just remember him saying something, something, something about the mofo car. That's all I remember. And in my head, I don't know, I felt like he must have relaxed for a minute or something in my head. I just hit the gas. Boom. Right? He shot that car and hit it nine times. I got the forensic pictures hanging up right now at my house in the bathroom. I look at it every day. And my brother Riz got shot in the cheek and the bullet went down in his neck and it's still in his neck to this day. And I'm riding, we, crashed, we crossed Sunset and there's the 405 and I'm freaking out, my friend in the car shot. Um, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I'm gonna get you to the hospital, man. I got you, got you, got you. I'm like, oh my God. I'm, like, I didn't leave Detroit to be in uh, Beverly Hills, you know <laughs> same, what I mean? In Bel Air yeah. to get shot up. You know what I mean? Like, and so I'm, I'm, I'm scrambling, I get my phone, and I'm like, you know, I'm calling the, uh, 911. I'm like, yo, I'm driving on Sunset. You know, my dog just got shot. Please tell me the closest hospital, whatever, whatever. They like hit a couple of lefts, hit a couple of rights, da-da-da. I turn, I look up, it's a veterinarian. I said, my dog. <laughs> oh. Send me to a vet. And I I really, I was like, God, don't do this to me right now. And just, just like I looked up and then all of a sudden it's like the heavens open. I just seen like a big hospital. And so I hit a couple of lefts, hit a couple of rights, got him out, got him on the gurney, and he ended up being all right. So I wanted to bring that up because I thought about the virtue and I thought about Bentley, but it but it goes back to your question about legacy, and I want to be somebody that's remembered for being more than a jock. That's all it that mattered to me when yeah. I was growing it's up.
1: All that you want to be more than an athlete. You more want, than a jock. Yeah.
0: You know how it used to be, in high school even it was like, you know, yeah, you can play ball, but what else are you? Yeah. I'm like I'm an honor roll student. Went to Michigan, I'm on the Dean's list. I graduated from college. Like, education has always been important to me. So, being known as being more than a job and representing Detroit to the fullest, that's everything. Do you think
1: now you're you're known more than just being Jalen Rose, the athlete, the basketball player? Yes,
0: yes. And the the crazy thing about being the founder of a charter high school, and I gotta make sure I thank LeBron because a lot of people didn't know I had a school until he influenced the school.
1: Yeah.
0: People didn't even know. I, you, so I had people coming up to me like, yo, congratulations. I didn't even <laughs> know until I saw what LeBron did. So he took the movement and made it mainstream. Okay, so I was moonwalking in the hood, but then he came and he was Michael Jackson with it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So. Like that level of exposure to what we're trying to do for our communities, that now drives other people to want to do it. So I have athletes calling me all the time. Yo, how can I have a school? How can I give back to the community? And people care a lot more. They make a lot more. And that's what means everything to
1: me.
2: That's all for this episode of Needing Dodo, the Podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. Come back next week to dive into another great conversation. But until then, Hit subscribe on the podcast and submit a review wherever you listen to your shows. Much appreciation to our partners for this show, Chase. Head over to Chase.com to see what Chase has to offer. Our executive producers are myself, T.D. St. Matthew Daniel, and Ben Adair. And I'm Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk, telling you what a wise man always told me. A penny saved is a penny earned.